0: All right, you may return to your seats. You may be seated. Well, good morning. We're thankful that you're here to worship with us today at Northside. If this is your first time with us, Just want to extend a special welcome to you. Thank you for being here. You're our guest, and we would love for you to let us know that you're here for the first time. There's a couple ways you can do that. There's a QR code that you can scan in the bulletin, or there's a connection card out there in the foyer. If you could just fill out some information about yourself so we can get to know you, if there's a way that we can be praying for you, we certainly want to do that um, as well. Man, it's just good to be back in the house of the Lord today. Uh, I'm excited to preach. I have preached once, I think in four Sundays, um, and so I'm looking forward to teaching and preaching this morning. Um, as I mentioned last week, just so thankful for the men who have stood behind this pulpit over the last four weeks and have faithfully preached God's Word um, and pointed us to Christ and, and just His, His glory and salvation that we can have in Him. I want to take a moment and focus on something really, really important So last week, the third Sunday of the month is usually recognized as Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. Uh, Yesterday marked 49 years since Roe v. Wade, and I am hopeful that there will not be a 50th next year, Uh, that the Supreme Court, and hopefully by God's grace, that may uh, be overturned. We have a video we're going to show in just a moment, but I just want to make you aware um, of the resource that we have right here in Coweta County. Uh, Coweta Pregnancy Services, uh, You know, led by the director there, Cindy Hughes. Uh, many of you know Miss Cindy, does an incredible job. They have been promoting, preserving, and protecting life for over 37 years. Uh, their ministry provides abortion alternatives and support to women and men facing an unplanned pregnancy um, and they're very thankful uh, for our support and prayers. And, and we support them on a monthly basis. We support them through the, the baby bottles that we do during the summer every year. Um, and They do great work. I'm so thankful for them. And so uh, Miss Cindy every year sends us a video about the sanctity of life. Look, this is, I mean, this is difficult, hard stuff. And this video I mean, kind of shows that. Um, but I want us to see this. I want us to be aware of this. And I want us to be in prayer for this. So check out this video and then we'll have a time of prayer after the video.
1: Created for purpose, a unique genetic blueprint from the moment of conception. DNA woven together to determine gender, eye color, hair color, fearfully and wonderfully made. Valued beyond measure Our culture says life is disposable Her rights matter most It's not really a baby And it's all one big choice But God created us in his own image and whispered I have called you by name You are mine In the United States abortion is legal throughout the entire pregnancy Totally unrestricted Most recently abortion has been boxed up in the form of two little pills and a promise to make it all go away. What will you do to make a difference for life? How can you be a voice? Will you help save a life? There are over 2,700 pregnancy centers in the United States serving men and women Free of charge and full of hope, providing pregnancy tests, life affirming counsel, abortion recovery, classes, clothing, and diapers. Many centers offer the first glimpse of a woman's baby in the womb, displaying the magnificence of creation and the precious beats of a tiny heart, perfectly formed and fashioned by the one who created them. They serve faithfully, love well, encourage they are hope dealers they need volunteers your prayers and your financial support will you please give generously and help make a difference for life today
0: so over the last two years um maybe you guys have seen this website it's called worldometer i check it periodically they keep track of how many covid cases and deaths and Based upon states, I saw this on Twitter yesterday that according to this same website that tracks this, 42% of all deaths in 2021 were from abortion. That is 42.6 million image-bearing souls in the last year that has lost their life. Look, there's not been one second that as your pastor, I've downplayed COVID. People have died from it, and we can disagree on some things, Um, but just as real as COVID is abortion. And it's taken many more lives. And my prayer is by the time we stand here next year, uh, things look very, very different. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, this room is filled with image-bearing souls whose parents chose to give them life. I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for how many of them have stood for life and have Defended life and have made that very same decision to give life, many even adopting to give life, and we thank you for that. Father, the reality is there are millions and millions and millions of people who are not here because they were aborted. Lord, there are many injustices in the world, and we are to be a people who fight against all forms of injustice, and that rightly includes abortion. Lord, we pray, God, we pray for your grace and your mercy. God, we pray for our Supreme Court. Father, we pray for our elected leaders. Father, for our president, our vice president, for others. Father, that they would come to a conviction of abortion, that their hearts and their lives would be changed and transformed. Only Jesus, really, you can do that. And Father, so we are asking you, God, to transform hearts and lives. Father, help us as people of God to understand that if we are pro-life, that means we are to be pro-life from the womb to the tomb. It's not just the womb. That's where it begins, but it is throughout an entire person's life. So help us to be people who advocate for that. But, Father, on this particular Sunday, in light of this past week, Father, we specifically lift them up. Father, we lift up Miss Cindy. We lift up her staff. We lift up the Coweta Pregnancy Center, the other pregnancy centers God, across the world. And you know how near and dear they are to my heart because it is through a pregnancy center that Malachi is in our life. God, be with him. Raise up more people who will stand for the sanctity of life. Father, we just pray, God, that your will would be done in our country, in our church, in our lives for your glory and your honor. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Are y'all ready to worship some more? Mr. Curtis, let me just say this, in two weeks since the last time you were up here, man, you have already come so far, so I'm praising the Lord for your continued strength and development. So, hey, let's stand, let's worship together.
2: See, my Jesus, oh my soul, I'm a-gonna go, soon I'll be on my way. Oh my word, tell me, have you heard, i am a-gonna live forever. Oh my, my, i am a-gonna fly to heaven some sweet day. I've
1: been looking for words to describe what i am a-gonna see there.
2: All I can really say for sure is I'm gonna be there. No more crying, no more dying. Every child of God is gonna be flying. I can feel the wind beneath my wings. Oh, my mind, how am I gonna fly up to see my Jesus? Oh, my soul, how am I gonna go? Soon I'll be on my way. Oh, my word, tell me, have you heard? i am a-gonna live forever, oh my, my, i am I a-gonna fly to heaven some sweet day. I'm going to live forever, oh my, my, how am I going to fly to heaven some sweet day? Oh my, my, how am I going to fly to heaven some sweet
0: day? Amen. Thank you. Amen. Thank you, choir. Right, at this time, our children may make their way out for Children's Church. And to everyone remaining, I'm going to ask you to take a copy of God's Word. If you don't have a copy, uh, an actual hard copy, to get out your electronic device, because we're going to be looking at a lot of scriptures this morning, and I really, really, really want you paying attention and following along. So, as a pastor, as a preacher, as a teacher, there are two primary different ways in which you can teach or preach. One of them, and you've maybe seen this a lot, is through topical preaching. So a pastor or a preacher will, week to week, just pick a topic. He'll uh, be in different places in the Bible from week to week. Maybe they'll do series, spend four weeks on relationships, then five weeks on something else. Um, The other way that a lot of pastors preach, and is my preferred method and the way that that I like to do it, is called expository or expositional preaching. It's where you work through either a book or a chapter, verse by verse, and trying to determine through the Spirit of God what was the intent, what is the context, we let Scripture interpret Scripture, and we work through it. We don't just pull out, a, pull out a verse and preach it, but we go verse by verse. And the three guys that we have had fill in for me, Mark and David and Lou, all preached expositionally. They all had a text. They worked through the text, and they let the text speak for itself. One reason I like to, speak, to preach expositionally is because it forces me to preach on some things that I may choose never to preach on if I'm just picking based on topics. And so this morning, and for the last couple weeks, I've had this on my heart, knowing that we were going to be looking at verse 11 this morning, and so that's what I want to do. We're going to spend about five to seven minutes looking at verse 11, and from there, we're going to let it launch us into this morning, maybe not so much preaching, but more teaching of trying to understand what does God's word say about this one particular thing that we see addressed here in verse 11. So when you leave here today, you're probably not going to say that was the greatest sermon I've ever heard. But I hope you will learn Some of you, as we begin to talk about this, you're going to already know what the New Testament says. Some of you will have never heard a sermon on this in your life. Some of you will quickly amend me. Some of you may be ready to come yell at me after the service. I don't know. We're going to see how this goes. But here's the question we're going to look at based upon verse 11, and that is this. What is the norm or the pattern for church leadership in the New Testament? You say, why does this matter? Well, here's why it matters. Because you are part of a church who has leadership, and we want to be a healthy church. We want to be a church that is obedient to the New Testament, and therefore it should concern every single one of us as to what the New Testament says about how a church should govern, function, and what that leadership should look like. And here's what I believe. You and I must be a people who in all things believe, obey, and follow God's word so please listen intently follow along because as a follower of Christ and a member of Northside this impacts your life the other thing I just want you to be thinking about as we think about pastors and leaders is who's a pastor that has impacted your life has there been somebody in spiritual leadership in a church a pastor a deacon an elder whatever you call them who has had an impact and an influence in your life. And so we come to verse 11, Ephesians chapter 4. Would you please stand in honor of the reading of God's word? Just verse 11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. You may be seated. Paul says, and he gave. Now, it seems like forever ago... The first Sunday of January, I preached on the verses that preceded this and how Paul is saying Jesus Christ, the resurrected, ascended Lord, gave gifts to his church. And we talked about how God has given each of us as Christians individual gifts. Every single one of us has spiritual gifts. Now what Paul says is that God also gave specially gifted men as leaders to the church. So not only has he gifted individual members of the church, but he has gifted to the church leaders who lead the church. And that's why I want you to be mindful of who are some of those leaders that God has placed in your life. And so who has God given? And he gave, first of all, we see the apostles. This is apostolos. This word simply means sent out ones. Now, when you hear the word apostle, you typically think of the 12 apostles of Christ or the 12 disciples. You remember there were 12. Jesus calls them. Judas betrays Jesus. They're down to 11. The beginning of Acts, they add Matthias. They're back up to 12. We also know from the New Testament letters that Paul is an apostle so paul writing this letter under an inspiration of the holy spirit is an apostle and he is saying god gave apostles to the church now to be an apostle you had to be appointed by god god had to appoint you and according to acts chapter 1 when they're appointing matthias you had to be a witness to the resurrection of jesus christ the 11 men plus matthias were witnesses Jesus appears to Paul on the road to Damascus. So he is now a witness to the resurrected Christ. So God gave apostles. Look what Paul has already said in Ephesians about them. Because these apostles had a specific and unique role. You see chapter 2 verse 20. Built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Chapter 3 verse 5 which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. God gave apostles. What I believe the New Testament teaches is that once those apostles passed away, the office of apostle ceases. There are no apostles today. No one alive today saw the resurrected Christ when the disciples would have seen him. So God gave first the apostles. They were the foundation as they were teaching and planting churches and, and, and leading these people. So he gave the apostles. And then it says he gave the prophets. prophetes. Prophets were the mouthpiece or the spokesman from God. They received direct revelation from God, which they then imparted to the church. Listen to this verse. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. And we also thank God constantly for this. Hear this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God. Paul says we preach to you, and what we preach to you was not our words, it was the word of God. God spoke directly to them, and through them he spoke to the people. I believe the the office of prophet has also ceased. I don't believe we have prophets today. We don't receive current revelation today that is on par with the writing of the New Testament. When you hear somebody say, God spoke to me, you need to be careful as to what they're saying. If they mean God spoke to me through his word and what they say lines up with God's word, then okay. But there's a lot of preachers today who say, God spoke to me in a dream. Or God spoke to me this way. Well, God doesn't speak to us the way he would have spoken to the apostles through direct revelation. He speaks to us now through his word, through the spirit of God living in us. So he gave the apostle. He gave the prophet. Then he says he gave evangelists. Evangelistos. This is the noun. He gave evangelists. Now notice this. Apostles, prophets, evangelists all focus and center upon God's word. None of this happens apart from God's word. They're all focused upon the word of God. There is this office. There are evangelists. Um, Acts 21 verse 8. On the next day we departed and came to Caesarea, and we entered the house of Philip the evangelist. So in, in Ephesians 4, this word evangelist appears in the noun. This word also appears commonly in verb form. Uh, right? It simply means to evangelize. So here's the deal. All believers are to proclaim the gospel. Every one of us are to proclaim the gospel. But evangelists are those with special gifts to do so. There are God-ordained, God-set-apart men who preach, who have the gift of evangelism. Billy Graham had the gift of evangelism. Billy Graham was not a pastor. He didn't pastor a particular church. Right? He wasn't preaching in the same congregation week after week. He was out there preaching as an evangelist. His sole purpose was to see lost people saved. And every time he opened his mouth, the Spirit of God worked in miraculous, powerful ways, right? God sets apart evangelists. So apostles no longer exist, prophets, I believe that office has ceased. There still are evangelists today who go around preaching revivals, and God is using them powerfully. And then he says another one, the shepherds and teachers. Shepherds here is poiomen. Some of your translations translate it pastor. And then teacher is didaskalus. Now, most commentaries I read believe that based upon the Greek, these two words, uh, shepherd, teacher, in Greek actually refers to one office, just one office. They're linked by a single definite article. So that shepherds and teachers is speaking of one gift. That is you have a teaching pastor or a teaching shepherd. All pastors must be teachers. But not all teachers are pastors. Some of you are faithful to teach your class, your kids, your adults week after week, and you are not a pastor. You're just a teacher of God's word. But I think here in the Greek, right, shepherd teacher is referring to one office. So we don't have apostles today. We don't have prophets today. We don't have evangelists who are pastoring churches. Those guys are typically out there preaching, doing evangelism, revivals. So a church has shepherd teachers. This is what it says according to Ephesians chapter 4 that God has given to the church pastors shepherds, teachers. So the question for us to consider, and again, it is of utmost importance, is this. What is the norm or the pattern for church leadership in the New Testament? What is God's plan that when a church is started, how is that church to be governed? So here's what I am convinced based upon my study. That the biblical norm and pattern for church leadership in the New Testament is a plurality of God-ordained elders. That the biblical norm and pattern that we see in the New Testament is a plurality of God-ordained elders. Now, there are some of you that are ready to stand up and say, Amen, I agree. There are some of you who are like, Nope, I disagree firmly. There are some of you that are like, "What are you? What are you talking about? Like, I don't know. I don't know what you mean, right? You're just not really sure what I'm talking about." So here's what I want to do because this is important. This has affected Northside's history. For those of you who have been here for many years, or you guys went through a process of thinking about changing your governing structure to a plurality of elders and it didn't happen for a variety of reasons but what i believe when you study the new testament what you see is a plurality of god ordained elders. i want to break this down three ways and this is where i really want you to follow along with me because we're to be people who are faithful to the scriptures and we should know what does the scripture say. so hopefully you got your bible. so here's the first thing i want you to see in the new testament There are three terms that are used to refer to pastors, and these terms are used interchangeably. They are pastor, overseer, and elder. So pastor, overseer, and elder are used interchangeably, and they all speak of the same office or the same function when it comes to leading a church. So if you have your Bibles, let's go on a journey. Acts chapter 14, verse 23. Please follow along. I don't want you just to take my word for this. Acts 14, 23. Acts 14, 23. And we're going to see how these three words are used interchangeably as we look at about eight verses this morning. And when they had appointed elders for them, there's that word elders, when they appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Acts 15, verse 22. Then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church to choose men from among them and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. So you had the apostles and it mentions the elders. Acts chapter 20, verse 17. Now here's we see all three referenced in one passage of Scripture. Acts 20, verse 17. Now from my lettuce, he, Paul, sent to Ephesus and called the who? Who? The elders of the church. So there were elders in the church, he calls them. Paul begins to speak to them, giving them final words as he's getting ready to leave them. Now drop down to verse 28, because this is what he says to these elders. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock, in which the Holy Spirit has made you, what? Overseers. Your translation may say bishop. So he's speaking to the elders And now he calls them, you are an overseer, because he's using these words interchangeably. He's made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. That word to care for in the Greek is the same word used for shepherd. So not only the elders who are overseers, but they are to act as shepherds. They are to care for their flock. Philippians chapter 1, verse 1. Philippians chapter 1. Verse 1, as we continue to work our way through this. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons. We would say the two offices in the church, everyone in here would agree with this, are pastors and deacons. Well, Paul says it's overseers and deacons. It's because overseer and elder and pastor are all used interchangeably referring to the same office. 1 Timothy chapter 3. Verse 1, 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. This is the qualification for overseers. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. If I asked you, what's Paul talking about here? You would say, qualifications for a pastor. Correct, but he uses the word overseer. Why? Because he's using them interchangeably. First Timothy chapter 5, verse 17. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. Titus chapter 1. Again, Paul laying out qualification for pastors. Titus chapter 1 verse 5. This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. Drop down to verse 7. For an overseer as God's steward. Again, using them interchangeably. Two more. You're familiar with this one. James chapter 5, verse 14. James chapter 5, verse 14. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Now one more reference, and here I'm going to break down these different words that are used. It's First Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 2. Let's camp out here for a moment. And then we're going to move in to the second point. 1 Peter chapter 5. Again, we are to be a people who who are concerned with what does the New Testament teach us. Chapter 5, verse 1. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. So I exhort the elders. The Greek word for elder is... Pres Buderos, Pres Buderos, kind of sounds like Presbyterian, because that's where they get their word from. Presbyterians have elders. We're like, whoa, we're Southern Baptists, man. We're not Presbyterian. We can't have elders. But it says, right? So I exhort the elders. Now, this word "elder" has its origin in the Old Testament. Some of you remember Numbers eleven sixteen, right? God appoints seventy elders who are to come alongside and help Moses in his rule and in his leadership. So elders has an Old Testament background. This Greek word for elder, presbyteros, is used about 70 times in the New Testament. Sometimes it simply refers to older men and women. But you are an elder just because you're older. Some of you in this room, whether you like the term or not, you're elders in the sense that you're older than others. right? Be, Be respectful to your elders. So it is used in reference to that. In the Gospels, it's used multiple times, over 20 times, to refer to the spiritual leaders of Israel, to the chief priests and the elders, the, these older men who were leading in Israel. But it is also used multiple times, as we've already seen, in reference to the local church, that the local church is to have elders, overseer, pastors. Same word used interchangeably. So that's verse 1. So I exhort the elders. Now look at verse 2. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. There's that word shepherd. Poimeno. Going back to Ephesians 4. Ready? And God gave shepherds. Right. The idea of a shepherd is to feed, is to care, is to protect the sheep. Protect the flock of God. Care for the flock of God. Teach, feed the flock of God that is among you. Exercising oversight. Now, that word exercising oversight is in the verb form here. The noun form, we translate overseer. In the verb form, it's translated exercising oversight. The Greek word for overseer or bishop is episcopaeo. You say, wait, that sounds like Episcopalian. Yeah, that's where they get their name from, right? Because in Episcopal churches, you typically would have one bishop or one overseer. And so Peter here, using these words interchangeably, overseer means to look upon, to consider, to watch over. So you're like, man, we got these three words. How How do we really understand this? Well, I think John MacArthur provides a helpful summary this way. Elder emphasizes who the man is. Elders emphasizing who he is. Overseer speaks of what he does. He's leading, right? He's guiding. And pastor or shepherd deals with his attitude and his character, how he feels about his sheep. You can call them elders, overseers, or pastors. And it's all talking about the same person. You want to call me Pastor Aaron, Elder Aaron, or Overseer Aaron? In the New Testament, I don't really care for Overseer Aaron, but um, <laughs> in, in, in the New Testament, it's all the same office. God has given this office to the church to provide leadership. Phil Newton and Matt Schmucker in their book, Elders in the Life of the Church, describe it this way. Elder speaks to the spiritual maturity of the office. Overseer speaks to the leadership and the direction for the church. Pastor speaks of feeding, nurturing, and protecting the flock. So when I say I believe the New Testament, the model, the norm, is elders. Understand elders is another word for pastor. Here's the second point. The church is led by a plurality of elders. Not just one, but a plurality of elders. Now, This is really, really hard for us in Southern Baptist churches in the 21st century. I have been a pastor now of three churches. I was a youth pastor. Growing up, I was in two or three different churches. And the churches I was in never had elders. I never called them elders. Here was how they functioned. Here's how Northside functions. Here's how we function, and we've been functioning this way, and the problem is sometimes we read this into the New Testament. The way we function is we have a senior pastor, and if the church is large enough, he has a staff. So you maybe have a youth pastor, a music guy, right? You have an education pastor, and so you have a senior pastor, and under that senior pastor, you have staff. Look, I don't think there's anything necessarily wrong with that. A lot of churches function really well with the pastor and staff. But here's the thing. That is not in the New Testament. It is not. If you study the 27 books of the New Testament. You will never see any reference to a senior pastor. You will never see any reference to a staff that he hires and the church is paying. And we hope to hire an associate pastor soon, um, and, and, and that's an awesome thing, and it helps us because we can afford to do that. But we, we right now can't afford five staff, full-time staff. So that's not a New Testament pattern. It's a pattern that the church in America has developed over the years. We got a senior pastor, he's been to seminary, he's been trained, and he's got a staff that he oversees, and that staff meets our needs. And again, it can work, but I would argue that's not the New Testament pattern. The New Testament pattern is a plurality of elders. You want to call them pastors, fine, but it's a plurality of elders. So go back to Acts 14, because again, I want you to see this. Acts 14, verse 23. Acts 14, verse 23. Hang with me a little bit longer, then I'm going to get to some objections. I'm going to try to move through this quickly. We're going to be here a while. Acts 14, 23. And when they had appointed elders, look at that word elder. Is it singular or plural? It's plural, because it's plural in the Greek and when they had appointed elders, plural, for them in every church. That's singular. Paul, later on, calls for the elders in Ephesus. Our understanding, some people would say, well, maybe they had 10 house churches, and each house church had an elder. Maybe, but the New Testament doesn't tell us that. Related to Ephesus Paul planted the church in Ephesus, and when he planted churches, he established elders. So my understanding is when he calls from the elders of Ephesus, he's speaking of one church that has a plurality of elders leading that church, and he calls for them. Right? There was a plurality of godly and gifted men serving their churches, and the New Testament is clear. There are two offices. Office number one, pastor, elder, overseer. Office number two, Deacon, two offices, elders and deacons who are concerned with the church and the health of the church and meeting the needs of the church. Elders addressing spiritual needs of congregations, deacons addressing temporal needs. Two comments here, and I'm going to go into this more next week personally from me Why I think it's beneficial to have a plurality of elders rather than a senior pastor. But two comments here. Number one, you need to understand that no one man possesses all the gifts for leading a congregation. God God gifts and he appoints men to preach and teach and lead a congregation. But no one man possesses all gifts. I am stronger in some areas than other areas. And I'll elaborate on that more next week. I have strengths And I have weaknesses. So for me, the healthiest thing is not to have one senior pastor who isn't sufficient in doing everything, but has weaknesses in some areas. And the second thing is this. Elders don't replace the senior pastor. Rather, they come alongside the senior pastor. So you have a plurality of elders. It's not that elders, I'm out of a job if we have elders. Notice that elders come alongside and together together. They lead the church, which leads us to the third thing, and that is this. The church, and this is so important, the church is led by a plurality of God-ordained elders. They must be God-ordained, and they must be qualified biblically. They must be qualified biblically. So Acts 14, 23, and when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord. They're committing them unto the Lord. Paul in 1 Timothy and in Titus lays out the qualifications of an elder. And here's what I believe with all of my heart. The church of Jesus Christ has failed to take these seriously. I think one reason why the church of Jesus Christ is in such poor shape in some places It's because some of the people who are leading the church are not qualified biblically to lead the church. But man, they can speak. Or man, they can draw people. But it doesn't matter that morally they do not, they are not qualified. We're just putting guys up because of their charisma. But that's not what we're called to do. We are called to set aside men who are qualified to serve as elders and deacons. We are, we are to only appoint qualified men to the biblical offices of elder and deacon. I like this summary. What Paul wants is for local churches to take Christian living seriously, and this requires appointing leaders who will exemplify Christian behavior. Now, Here's a question I want to ask you before we get into two objections. The question is this. Again, don't read 21st century into what Paul is saying here. How were the elders appointed in Paul's day? Where did they come from? Let me tell you where senior pastors come from today. And I'm thankful for this because otherwise I wouldn't be here. Senior pastors today, they go to seminary, many of them. They get formal training, right? They go to a professional school. You get a master's and then you begin to preach and you go to a different church as God leads you. So so let me ask you this. The men that are appointed elders in the New Testament, did they go to seminary? Did they have formal training? Did they go to a professional school? No. Where'd they come from? From within their own church. They had raised up godly men from within who have no training. But Paul sees this man is set apart, he's meeting the qualifications, he loves the Lord, and he's an elder. Many of them not getting paid, lay elders, the word lay not used in the New Testament, but just volunteer elders providing leadership to the church because that was the New Testament pattern. Yes, there are men who go to seminary and we've been trained and we are paid because we devote ourselves to full-time ministry. But I believe the New Testament pattern alongside of that is to raise up godly men in the church who can serve as elders. I believe that's the New Testament pattern. Two objections. Number one, sometimes people fear a plurality of elder model because they fear the loss of congregationalism. Northside Baptist Church is a congregational church. What I mean by that is you have a vote. Just as you can go vote in an election, if you are a member, you can come to our meetings and you have a vote. And sometimes people think, oh, elder, we got elders, now we don't get a vote. I don't believe that's a New Testament pattern. So let me state clearly, I am not a proponent of elder rule. Some churches are elder rule. A group of men sit in a room and they make every decision and the congregation never has a say-so about anything. I'm not elder-ruled. I believe the New Testament pattern is elder-led. There's a group of men dealing with spiritual needs, devoting themselves to that, who are qualified, who make a lot of decisions because they're praying about it, but at the end of the day, it's still up to the congregation. Elders aren't choosing the next staff. It's up to the congregation, right? If we're going to change the bylaws, we just don't randomly change the bylaws. It's up to the congregation. So I believe it is to be elder-led. You look at Acts 15, verse 22. Then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church. The whole church is involved there. And so some would say, no, I don't don't want to be elder-led because I lose control. And let's just be honest. Can we be honest? There are some people in churches who don't want elder led because they don't want to lose control. They have control in that deacons meeting or they have control in these other meetings and they don't want to lose control. Listen, I don't want anybody in this room to think you've got to have control because now we're just standing in the way of what the Spirit of God is going to do. Look, I don't want to be in control of all of that but I want the spirit of God to be in control of that. But here's the second reason why there are objections to elder led. And that is there are some pastors who fear the loss of control and authority. One comment that I remember Pastor BJ saying from the pulpit into me is in the discussion process of leading a new pastor here is the church wants to be pastor led. They want to be pastor-led. I want to lead Northside well. I have no intentions of going anywhere. Hear my heart. I pray that God lets me retire here. I don't want to go anywhere. But hear me. I do not want the responsibility to lead this church alone. My heart, my heart. And we're not going to tackle this tomorrow or in three months from now. But my heart is to lead Northside to a place where we become elder-led so that there are men who are called by God who help me where I'm weak, who hold me accountable. Church, we are entering into a time in this country where, you already see it in Canada, It may very well cost me. I may go to prison for teaching and preaching certain things. It's already happening in Canada. They're already threatening it. And if we are elder-led and I am thrown in jail or I get sick, Northside is in a better position to continue going forward because it's not ultimately on one man's shoulders. But there's a group of people who feel called by God to pray and to care for your needs. So here's how I want to close. Again, I told you, it probably wouldn't say it was the greatest sermon I ever preached, but I do want to give you some points of application because this has been on my heart for like three weeks. Number one is this. God has given pastors, elders, overseers, again, whatever you want to call them, God has given them to you. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to give thanks for them. And I don't want you to do this for me, but this week I want you to think of a pastor who God placed in your life, and I want you to send them a text message or write them a card because you need to understand pastors have hard jobs and it's difficult, more so maybe today than ever before. Look, I'm blessed, a pastor here. You guys are awesome. There are some pastors who are in churches and their people aren't quite as awesome. Like, it's difficult, it's hard. And I want you to identify that person. And I want you to reach out to them this week, and I simply just want you to say thank you. Thank you for faithfully preaching God's word. Thank you for the way that you loved on me. I remember when you showed up in the hospital that time. Thank you. Just encourage them, because sometimes pastors just need to be encouraged. Number two, I want to challenge us to be a people who submit, trust, and obey God's word. What does God's word say? We want to trust it. We want to obey it. We want to submit to it. We want to follow God's direction for our life. And then number three, I want to challenge all of us to be reminded as to why he established the church to begin with. That we are the body of Christ and our marching orders have been and always will be to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ to the ends of the earth. That's what we are called to do. And so this morning, if you don't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, look, this message wasn't for lost people. This message today was for the saved. And a lot of times that's what our messages need to be, for the saved, because we are all to be growing in our faith. But if you don't know Jesus Christ this morning and something we sang or something the choir said just convicted you, I want you to know that you can come to believe and trust in the name of Jesus. You can be saved. That in the midst of a hopeless world, you can have hope. You can have hope because that's what it's ultimately about yes i want to be faithful in all things but at the end of the day Northside's mission is to take the gospel to the ends of the earth and how can we do that most effectively how can we most effectively make disciples that's where we want to be in obedience to god's word would you close your eyes and bow your heads father god i pray that somehow some way god through this this message god what what I've, Lord, been praying through and, and, and just wrestling with myself, God, is I've never seen a plurality of elders actually modeled. I've heard I've heard other pastors talk about how well it works and how, how helpful it is to them, how, how, how beneficial it is to the church. But, Lord, I haven't personally seen that. Lord, I've spent a lot of time as a, as a Lone Ranger pastor in some smaller churches desiring and wanting God, I was so thankful when I came here for Pastor BJ. God, for his impact and his influence and how he helped me, God, think through those things. Lord, I am so thankful this morning for our deacons. God, for their faithfulness to serve the people of God. Lord, that's what you've called them to do. And we are blessed with 12 deacons, Lord, who I believe, God, are are, are living out the qualifications of Timothy and Titus and who, who love these people, who love them well. Lord, I do, I do pray for Northside because what I want more than anything is I want us to be the healthiest church that we can possibly be. That's making disciples and telling lost people about Jesus and encouraging one another and building each other up, and being there for one another, building relationships with one another. So, Lord, whatever that looks like here, would you just make that clear? Father, I pray if there's anybody here today that doesn't know you, Jesus, Lord, that you would just speak to their hearts. Convict them of their sin. Bring them to a place of repentance. Father, we're getting ready to sing a song about declaring your will be done. Father, whatever we're struggling with, whatever we're wrestling with, whatever hopelessness or anxiety or maybe depression we feel, God, we just want to submit to you. We ask for your will to be done as we sing this song in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand and let's just worship together.
2: Will be done, my God and Father, as it has. is church, we lift our voice and pray, Father, not my will, but yours be done. And in his name we overcome, for you shall see us safely home. Now as your church, we lift our voice Father, not my will, but Yours be done. Father, not my will, but Yours
0: be done. You may be.